0: Well, we've got a Bible reading just now. We're going to read from Second Samuel chapter 9. If you've got a pew Bible, Bible, it's page 312. Ryan's going to come and read that for us. Second Samuel chapter 9, page 312 of the pew Bibles. Samuel
1: chapter 9, reading from uh, verse 1. This is... God's Word, found on page 312. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a, ma- there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba, your servant? He replied, the king asked, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of meal, in the Lodabar. So King David had him brought from the house of Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of meal. When Meshubbeth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to him, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Meshubbeth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant, that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him. And bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Zebah had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Zebah said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mishibosheth had a a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mishibosheth, and Mishibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Amen, and we thank God for his word.
0: Well, let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9 again because this story is uh, just a, a wonderful story to look at on a communion Sunday when we are welcomed to the table of the Lord, and we're able to look at the story of this man who was welcome to the table of the king. And uh, as we followed through the life of David, we've seen that there have been times when uh, David, as God's king at that time, points us very, very clearly to Jesus. There there are times that he does that more clearly than others, but this particular period in his life is perhaps the period where we see that most clearly. God has established David as king. He is in his capital, Jerusalem. Uh, He is king over uh, the land, and there is unity within the land, God has told him in chapter 7 that uh, his dynasty will never end, and David is tremendously humbled and and thankful for God's blessing. We saw last time he was just full of praise. Now, we might want to ask, well, what sort of king would the sort of king that God would establish like this and promise such great things to, what sort of king would this king be like? And and those next couple of chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, show us that. In chapter 8, we read that this king is a king who is victorious. We're not going to look at that chapter particularly clearly, but you'll see it's entitled "David's Victories." There at the top of page 312, if you've got a pew Bible, and. Um, it's not necessarily in chronological order, as the NIV introduces it there. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdues them. And we see that there's a whole list of various victories that God enabled his king to have. Some of them are gory stories. David defeats the army of Moab and, and captures them, and two-thirds of them are executed, and one-third of them goes free. So, so this is a king who is... Who is not to be messed with, he is entirely in control, he rules over his enemies, he triumphs over his enemies. And and we're meant to, to read this now and to realize what a terrible thing it would be to have King Jesus as your enemy. Imagine being in a position where, where he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and, and we are opposed to him. It's, it's meant to make us ask that question why would I want to be in that position? But then we see in chapter 9 that as well as being a king who is victorious over his enemies, he is also a king who shows tremendous kindness. And when this king shows kindness, his grace and his mercy are remarkable. We read at the beginning of the service a couple of verses from Psalm 2. You might know Psalm 2. Why do the nations plot in vain and the kings of the earth rise up against the, the anointed Uh, one in Zion and so on. And and it talks about God laughing at the opposition of the nations and establishing his king in Zion. And then as we read, there is an appeal to the kings of the earth to beware of of God's king's uh, wrath, but to submit to him and find his mercy. So this is what it says. We read this at the beginning of the service. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So you see here, God's king is described as one who is both full of wrath, but also full of mercy. And that's exactly what we see here. David The king who is victorious over his enemies, but the king who, when we submit to him, we find is full of blessing. Well, let's think about how Mephibosheth finds this blessing from this king. It's actually back in chapter 4 that we are first introduced to Mephibosheth, and uh, if you flick back a couple of pages, you'll see that uh, it's um, in. Uh, chapter 4, verse 4, so page 308 it is. And you notice, rather oddly, it's a, a, a bracket. It's a, a little bracket in the Bible. So chapter 4, verse 4, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. <clears throat> Excuse me. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. So, here's this young chap introduced to us, son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul. As we said to the boys and girls, Saul had tried to kill David on numerous occasions. David was loyal with, uh, to Saul and friendly with Jonathan. And Saul and Jonathan are eventually killed in the battle on Mount Gilboa with the Philistines. And, and there was an expectation of a Philistine invasion. And so, the, the, what was left of the royal family... They, they flee. Mephibosheth picked up as a little child and dropped with this terrible accident. Presumably, he, he, he breaks his ankles or something like that, and they, they never heal properly or they heal badly. And, and in the haste of, of the moment, there's no time to treat him. And he is in hiding at this point. And eventually, then David, of course, rises to power. And you might think, well, that would be a good time for Mephibosheth to come back into the center of things again, but not at all. Because the way that that, uh, successive kings tended to operate in those days was if you came into power, you consolidated your position by killing all the family of the people who'd come before you. It wasn't only in those days. You'll see through some uh, British history that that sort of thing happened uh, as, as well. And so uh, there was an expectation that that if David ever got his hands upon Mephibosheth, then that would be the end of him. Now, he kept on, therefore, in uh, hiding because he was the next in line to uh, Saul's line of the family throne. He lived in a place called Lodabar. It means no pasture. It was probably right on the edge of the desert. It was a backwater barren place. It was not prosperous. It wasn't a good place to be. And it's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, imagine being introduced in the Bible in brackets. It's not the best way to start, is it? It's really saying something about Mephibosheth straight away. He's he's sort of a a by-the-way character. And that was probably the way people thought about him as he grew up. He was an unfortunate statistic, someone who was just to be sidelined in the main story. Now, there are times whenever we cannot help but read the Scriptures and see the great Christian story represented in some of the little stories. There are echoes of the great Christian story in this story just in marvelous ways for example the name mephibosheth is is linked to the word for shame and that's a theme that starts right at the beginning of the scriptures isn't it adam and eve sin against god and what do they do they hide from god and they hide from each other because they have shame sin brings shame and they know that they're not in a proper relationship with god and here's mephibosheth who's out of relationship with the king he's on the run from him and this is what the Bible tells us about ourselves. We, we, we don't start off as good people who go wrong. Lots of people think that. We don't start off even as neutral people who can be bad or good. Lots more people even think that. We start off out of step with God by ourselves. Sin and shame dominate our lives. We, we, we say no to God naturally. We, we go our own way. We're on the run from him. We are fugitives. We are, are, are covered in shame as far as God is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just like this reference to Lodabar, though God offers us good pastures, you know Psalm 23 makes me lie down Uh, though God offers us green pastures, we find ourselves in a position of being in no pasture. There's no lasting satisfaction away from God. Don't we know that? We we think that one thing or another will satisfy us. You know, whenever we're growing up, we think, well, boy, won't it be great just to finish your exams and, and, and be free? And then you find you're an employee and it's worse than being a student. Uh, wouldn't it be great to be to be a, a, a married to that person whenever whenever I, 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 I'm able to actually just to get into that relationship and then maybe that relationship isn't as satisfying as you think? And, and then wouldn't it be great to be retired? And then you, you realize that getting out of bed in the morning is really challenging. And, and, and all these sorts of things that happen and you, you think this is going to satisfy me, but it doesn't always satisfy me. You know why? Because... We live in Lodabar. We're people who live in a place of no pasture because God is the one who truly satisfies. So so you see the parallel. Mephibosheth, eh, born of royalty, wounded by a fall, in fear of a king that he's never met, left to himself. This is how his life would have continued. Would he have come to David? No, he never would. He feared this king. He would never have come near him. But David sought him out. David's at the peak of his career, and he remembers a promise that he'd made to Jonathan. It goes way back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. He says, Jonathan and David speak, and they say this, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off from your kindness my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. David promised to watch over Jonathan's family. And so now in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, he he comes and he thinks to himself, if only I could fulfill that promise. Maybe he he realizes that in some ways he has got to where he is because of Jonathan's love and loyalty. And he wants to be faithful to that promise. And so he asks, is there anyone left? And to his surprise, the answer comes back, well, there is Mephibosheth. David obviously didn't know about this. And uh, if... This is challenging for David, because if there were discontents in David's kingdom, if there were those who were trying to work against him, an heir of Saul's would have been a useful rallying point. Here's a king from another line. You know, the previous government always does a better job than the current government, and so on. People would think that way. And so when David brings Mephibosheth in, there's always that risk that he's going to be a focus for opposition. That had actually been the case with Ishbosheth, who was Mephibosheth's brother, and, and uh, had risen up in a civil war that was eventually put down. He was now dead. So, Mephibosheth is named by Ziba, and uh, he tells him that he's crippled. Now, now, you might think that maybe David would say, do you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really bless this guy. Is, is there anybody else? Is there anybody a little bit more worthy of elevating in the kingdom But he doesn't say that. He asks for him to be brought to him. And so off they go to bring Mephibosheth to David. Mephibosheth couldn't have come to David by himself. He he wouldn't have come to him by himself. But David compels him to come. And It seems that he doesn't know what's ahead. He bows down before him and says, I am your servant. And and it means really he throws himself in front of David. He's, He's terrified, no doubt. He thinks his life is at an end. What word is he expecting to hear at this point as he bows low before a king that he's never met, that he has been told all of his life is out to get him? He's expecting to say, take him away, execute him but no, he, he hears his name, Mephibosheth. And that, that, that name would have been just full of, of tenderness as David speaks it. He's the answer to the promise that he had made all those years ago to Jonathan. It's full of tenderness. Isn't there echoes here of how God does this with us? Think of some of the times that, that God comes and, and speaks a person's name. Young Samuel trying to get to sleep at night. God speaks his name and calls him to himself. Jesus, walking through the Palestinian countryside, looks up, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. Mary weeping in the garden after the resurrection. Jesus speaks to her, Mary. How how tender. And and, uh, David confirms the tone of his voice with these words, do not fear. Because of the character of the king, there's every reason not to fear. Well, look at what happens to Mephibosheth. It's amazing. Straight away, his lands are restored to him, his servants also, and David insists that he comes and eats at his table. We're told that four times in verse 7 and verse 10 and verse 11 And then at the end, at verse 13, he's welcomed into the fellowship of the king. He's not just forgiven. He's not just given an estate somewhere on the periphery of the kingdom. He's brought right into the family of the king. There's a lovely paragraph written by this, by Charles Swindle. I've read this before in church. Let me read it to you again. Picture what life would be like in the years to come at the supper table with David. The meal is fixed and the dinner bell rings and along come the members of the family and their guests. Amnon, clever and witty, comes to the table first. Then there's Joab, one of the guests, muscular, masculine, attractive, his skin bronzed from the sun, walking tall and and straight like an experienced soldier. Then comes Absalom, top about handsome, from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet, there's not a blemish on him. And then there's Tamar, beautiful, tender daughter of David. And and later on, one could add Solomon as well. He's been in the study all day, and he finally slips away and makes his work to the table. But then they hear this clump, 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 clump. And here comes Mephibosheth, hobbling along. He smiles, and he humbly joins the others as he takes his place at the table as one of the king's sons and the tablecloth covers his feet. I ask you, did Mephibosheth understand grace? Do you see? We are Mephibosheth, aren't we? You see that. God gives us what we don't deserve. Children of royalty, crippled by the fall, permanently damaged by sin, living bracketed lives in low debar in a place of no satisfaction or no pasture until we are remembered by the king, a king who is driven not by our beauty but by his promise. He calls us to himself and he invites us to take a permanent place at his table. And though often we limp more than walk, we take our place beside other sinners, made saints, and we share in God's glory. It makes us want to ask with Mephibosheth in verse 8, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog such as me? You see this grace of God, this is what we want to see this morning, friends. Many of us here are Christians, and I just want us to see, look at what God has done for us. Look at how amazing this is. Some of us are, are not yet Christians. We're working this all through. Can you see the amazing gift of grace that is an offer in the gospel? God gives us what we don't deserve. Though we, we, we think he's going to wipe us out, he welcomes us in. There's something else we need to see about this story, and it's, it's sort of why David does what he does. It's not just that he remembers that Jonathan had been good to him at his time of need. It's more than that. Look at verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now, what had happened with Jonathan and David? Well, remember that David was anointed by Samuel to be the next king after Saul, and Saul was furious because he had his son, Jonathan. He expected that that would be the line that the kingship would passed through. But Jonathan saw that God's hand was on David, and they became the closest of friends. He made that covenant with David to protect David as much as he could from his father, while at the same time staying loyal to his father as much as he could too. He walked a very difficult path. And in one place, as he does this for David, he takes off his robe and his sword. And that meant that Symbolically, he was surrendering his claim to the throne, and he was recognizing that David was going to be king. And and this was very costly for for Jonathan. The the particular path that that he chose led him to stay with his father and to die on Mount Gilboa at the hands of the Philistines. Tim Keller writes about this beautifully. He, He says that David had a friend in Jonathan who loved him, and put himself in harm's way so that David could be protected. Jonathan lost the throne so that David could ascend to the throne. And so, because he had been shown such love, he was able to love Mephibosheth. And you see, this is what's happened to us. David had a friend who lost an earthly throne in order to save him. We have a friend who gave up a heavenly throne in order to save us. David had a friend who died on Mount Gilboa for him. We have a friend who died on Calvary for us. And you see how this came then to bring grace into Mephibosheth's life. Jonathan made sacrifices, but Mephibosheth enjoys the benefit in the face of the king. Isn't that the gospel? He comes to the king expecting to be wiped out, and he ends up, adopted because of the actions of another this is what jesus has done for you and this is why we come to this table today if you're a christian and you're coming to the lord's table you you come with a with a heart that says lord i don't deserve this but how good you've been to me your welcome is amazing and if you're here and you're trying to work this all out and you think, how can somebody like me get right with a God like that? You see that, that he's the one who does it all. He's the one who's given Jesus for you. He, he's the one who says, don't, don't work for this. Believe in the one whom I have sent. Humble yourself before him and he will lift you up and he will welcome you in. There's a welcome for you today from this God who's so generous. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this ancient story with its amazing echoes of the gospel. Thank you that as we imagine. the the difficult situation of Mephibosheth, and we imagine him staggering to the table. We thank you that we see for ourselves the welcome that you have given us, the way in which you have done all that is necessary for us to be made your children. Lord, fill our hearts with praise. Whatever our, our situation is, whatever we feel in terms of our performance. We we ask that you will help us to see that you're the God that welcomes us by grace because of your King Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.